You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome, fellow diplomats. This is Civil War Diplomacy. My name is Jordan Genso. I am your host and a self-appointed representative for the quote-unquote democratic establishment. This is a show where we look to ease tension in the ongoing cold civil war by opening up communication between the various factions in our political environment right now. My guest today is Herman Barbe. He is a individual who I saw him on a different podcast, Detroit Uncensored. Shout out to B.J. Humphrey for getting us in contact with each other. And when I heard him on another show, that show, I immediately thought, this is a dude who knows his stuff, and I think that him and I could hopefully have a worthwhile conversation coming at the issues from very different perspectives, but in a civil, intelligent way. And so I am grateful that you accepted the invite. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here, and uh, um, I wanted to. I, this is the first time we're meeting, yes, face to face. So, tell me about yourself. Yes, uh, where you came from, what you do, how you got to be who you are, and uh, I'll do the same. Yeah. So I actually grew up fairly conservative. Um, grew up in Novi, uh, not far from here, and I, I ended up going to business school. And it was when I was in business school, and I was me and my classmates. We were being taught, okay, you know. Every decision we're going to make when we enter the corporate world, we're going to be making decisions that are what's best for the businesses. And and I'm this stuff, and I'm like, okay, all these different situations. Yeah, I get that. That's what capitalism is. Me as an employee, fiduciary duty. I've got to do what's best for the business. But sometimes that conflicts with what with what's best for society. And so, who's looking out for society? And and it's like, okay, that's the role for government. That is what really opened my eyes to wait a minute, let's, yeah, let's make sure we have a good, well-functioning government who's out there doing what's best for the people because all of us business school kids, we're going to be future business owners and we're going to be doing what's best for us. Sure. And so that's really what then led me down the path in uh, 2008. I went from being like a Ron Paul supporter to a Barack Obama supporter and activist and got involved with his campaign, then immediately started doing the local political stuff, um, was chair of the local county Democrats in Livingston County, which is very red county, And but here I'm sure. the chair of the Democrats. Yeah. Um, I ran for state rep in 2014, and then just this past year in 2020, I ran for uh, county clerk. All right. So that's my political path to get me to this point. Awesome. How about, how about you? Awesome. So awesome place for us to talk about where we're going to overlap immediately. I was also a big Ron Paul guy in 2012. Oh, my gosh. And that's kind of how I got here. But so I grew up born and raised in Gross Point, Michigan, conservative Christian family, uh, had that foundation, if you will, went to Western Michigan for college, started with business, moved over to communications, um, didn't do very well in finance, statistics, economics and accounting. And now I work in finance. Go figure. And I'm doing great. But um, after college, uh, I, I had the, the springboard of, uh, of just kind of seeing the, the financial markets and then the front end went through the financial crisis, which was a very amazing and eye-opening event unto itself. Um, we learned a lot, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly in between. And it, I, I, that being the case, kind of helped get to my policy. I can understand, um, had there been certain checks and balances years ahead of time, 
then it probably wouldn't have been as bad as it was. And hindsight, twenty twenty, of course. Right. But uh, that definitely kind of helped me see. Okay, now I understand. There's going to be the pendulum. The government's going to go back and forth and forth and back, and he's got to make correction for where we went too far. And I get that, and that makes sense. Um, but then there's also overcorrection as well. <laughs> so that being the case, and that was right around that time Barack Obama came into uh, uh, came in right around that time. Um, Ron Paul was 2012. Right after that, were you in Ron Paul in 2012 or was that before? 2008. 2008. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, and I mean, he was the one I was rooting for because I had just assumed at that point yeah. I'm going to be voting for the Republican nominee. Ron Paul is the one that most resonates with me. Yep. When it then came down to McCain, and I started to really then, yeah, listen to Barack Obama's campaign, and it, it just the way it aligned with the timing of me having recently graduated business school. I was like, okay, yeah, what his vision was, I'm on board with that. I yeah. I, I I agree with what the government can be right with that hope. And, and that's what I was hoping for. Exactly. And uh, to that point, and that's a big part of where I feel, um, well, we'll call it the MAGA movement or, you know, the, the, the Trump uh, platform, if you will, make America great again, all that. Uh, he, th- that movement consolidated a lot of the libertarian Ron Paul supporters, right. tea party, if you will, along with the bigger GOP party at large. And that's really where it, it kind of fused and came together. In my opinion, that's kind of how I saw it. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm not so happy with an establishment right or establishment left, but uh, let's be honest, Trump was an establishment. He's a businessman, which is great. So he knows how to get stuff done. And, you know, if our country's kind of going in the red to some degree, like who better to file bankruptcy of the United States than Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> or at least reset the bone. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I feel we were after the end of the Obama administration of that year is like, okay, we, we've we've kind of gone down this road. We've seen where that takes us. Um, there has to be some way better than this because it's. It, I felt in my, in my heart and my spirit, we're losing our individual sovereignty. There's rights. There's like, okay, you have to abide by this or you can't, you know, you're going to be in trouble with the state that boot on the state. It's like, well, in my opinion, if you're getting kicked by a boot, do you care if it's the right boot or the left boot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to get kicked by a boot period if I can help this. So, and I don't want others to get kicked by a boot either. Yes. Uh, And that's why I definitely agree with that, you know, the limited government type of a situation where you don't want the, the boot of the state coming down on, on anyone, frankly. Yeah. Um, but it, at that point, it comes down to personal freedom, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I see our country was founded. Um, coming from my, my Christian background and everything like that, I'm like, I'm doing a lot of study over history over the last, you know, 10 years and just going back to our roots. Like, okay, we started here. We're, you know, we became the greatest nation for obvious reasons, freedom and liberty and truth and justice for all. You know, it's like a Superman cartoon or whatever, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, but how did we get so far off after the, you know, a few hundred years here we are, um, how do we get back to that? Or how does that adapt to where we are? Right. And that is kind of where I feel we need to get back. And, and I kind of mentioned the reference of, uh, I, I kind of felt like our, our bone was broken. Like we've been running on a broken leg. Have you ever broken a bone in your body before? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. I have. Did they have to reset the bone? Yes, they did. Did that feel good? No. Why not? Because they have to re-break it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So to some degree, I felt like that's what half of the country was going through. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, in 2016. Yeah. How did you feel in 2016? Well, and that's where 
I remember I had a Trump supporter knock on my door and ask, you know, they were canvassing my neighborhood and they asked, you know, are we on the right track or the wrong track? And I at the time said, yeah, the wrong track. And they were like, okay, so you would like to see a change. And my response was, it depends on the change. Because, sure. I mean, what, what Donald Trump was offering back then, it was a change that I wasn't on board with at all. And so, I mean, between him and Clinton, yeah, then Clinton was, I recognized was not going to be a change. Um, but it was still better than the change that Trump was offering. Okay. But I, I totally understood those who wanted the change and wanted to take a shot, you know, with Donald Trump and, sure. and what he was offering to see if that would maybe just shake things up and, and have the pieces fall in a better way overall. I don't think it happened that way. Um, and so, yeah, so when Donald Trump then won the election and the Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, and here I am as then a Democratic voter observing everything. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm watching what's going on with what Trump is doing, what the Republicans are doing. And I would love to be able to have a conversation with somebody and just see if, you know, if the Trump supporter can defend what's happening. Sure. And, and, you know, it's not easy to come across those opportunities. And so that's why now, four years later, it's kind of the reverse. The Biden administration's in the White House. You got the Democrats controlling the Senate and the uh, representatives. And it's like, okay, I want to give then a platform to those who are where I was four years ago thinking, okay, they're observing what's going on in, the, in their head. They're like, how does a Biden supporter defend what's been happening, what what they're now witnessing in this time when the sure. Democrats are in control. Sure. And so that's why I wanted to give you this platform to come on, scrutinize me. Right. And and yeah. and um I don't know if yeah you want to get into our first main segment of uh Gorilla Donkey, as I call it, where you can bring up the current event that you want to focus on and and put me on the defensive, scrutinize, you know, can I defend what is happening. Okay. Um, so for me personally, uh, as a human being, um, as a man, as a Christian, as an American, okay, uh, looking at the Constitution, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as it's described, that goes for everyone here. And I hope we can agree on that, right? Yeah. To me personally, I feel there's no pursuit of happiness without having the liberty and the freedom to do so. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to have liberty without first having life. Mm -hmm. That's why they said life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because you need life first. For me, and this is how I personally chose to vote in 2016, is the grill in the room for, I think, a lot of people, was life. And I didn't really care if it was Donald Trump or, um, you know, uh, Bunny the Clown or someone, you know, that I don't even know. Like, you know what? If they're pro-life... Right. And they're pro-constitution and they're you know pro-rule of law. I don't see how I can say no. Right. And to me, it was just very cut and dry. It's like you have one path that leads to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the other one, not so much. That's just how I saw it in yeah. 2016. No, yeah. yeah. There's a lot a, a lot of large segment of voters that yeah. are voting one way or the other. Exactly. Only on yeah, the pro-life, pro-choice issue. And yes. and the reason why I feel that's so important, Jordan, is because everything else follows. Mm -hmm. I feel that the economic success, the policy, the trade, the the uh, even the wall, that situation. We can talk about the wall, too, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it all connects. But that was for, for so many millions of, of Americans. And, I mean, this is people even internationally that were just, you know, biting their nails internationally, what's America going to do? Because they realize whichever direction we go in, that's going to have a humongous impact 
upon how they will be living if they're living in the Western world for the most part. Right. Um, and so it was, it was so critically important. If we are the big brother to the rest of the world, we need to be a good big brother. Mm -hmm. We need to lead by example. We need to show and teach other nations. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is how we're going to do it. Now you have the opportunity if you want to, to partner with us in trade and policy and politics, whatever that is might be, but you have the freedom to do so. Yeah. But when we lead by example, others will follow if we're doing the right example. Right. And if not, then we're going to appear weak to our enemies. Sadly, our foreign policy is going to crumble. Uh, economically, we'll start to go into the tank and kind of, in my opinion, I think we're going to see start starting to see a little bit of that already. And we're all not even two weeks into this new administration, if you will, with the new uh, the new House and Senate and all of that for now. Mm -hmm. Um. So for me, the, uh, the 200 pound gorilla in the room is life, right? The, the, yeah. the right to life. Um, how, how do you feel? Where do you come from regarding that policy or that, uh, that idea? Well, and so my perspective has always been that I cannot think of a government policy regarding abortion that if it's going to be restrictive, doesn't result in outcomes that to me are straight up atrocious and, and because pregnancy is such a personal situation that women go through. And it's one of those things where to have the government intervene and make the decision in the situations that women face, there are times where even if I were to agree with the government's decision in that situation, it's not something that I'm willing to give power to the government to do because I know that there's going to be a whole bunch of other times when the government's deciding in a way that I don't want any part of whatsoever as a representative of me. If the government represents, if government action is representing me as a citizen, I don't want anything like the, the way that the government could force decisions on pregnant women would turn out to be something that just makes me truly distraught. And so, yes, women having the freedom to choose whatever path that they choose along with, you know, consultation with their medical providers, I think is the only viable policy um, because the alternative is going to have such negative consequences. That's how I approach it. Um, and I know, you know, since Biden has been in office, there. He's done executive orders. There hasn't really been too much, right. but I mean, there, there has been yeah, the other Mexico city policy, which every time there's a change between Republican administrations, democratic administrations, Republicans institute that policy. Right. And then the Democrats, they remove the Mexico city policy. And when it comes to abortion issue in general, my perspective, the, what I view should be common ground for everybody is Policies that decrease the number of unwanted or unplanned press. If it's a policy that decreases that number, then everybody should be happy. Um, you know, it's going to then decrease the number of abortions and it's not going to completely eliminate abortion, but right. it, it works towards that same common goal. Exactly. Um, and I want to, and to your point, that's a great point, by the way. Um, and you might have heard this in my interview with uh, with BJ a few months ago. Okay, 
uh, I was at the time involved and still am involved in the Michigan Heartbeat Coalition. And we were gathering uh, signatures and petition drive for the Michigan Heartbeat Bill. And what that means yes. is it, it literally has, it would, it would eliminate about 90% of all abortions in the state of Michigan once a heartbeat is detected, which is about 90% right. of all um, of those procedures at the time. So just the same, here's, and here's the principle behind it. Uh, heaven forbid you go into the emergency room, you're in a car accident, your heart stops beating. Mm-hmm. You are declared well dead. dead. Yeah. But great news. Thank God the doctor was able to resuscitate you. Your heartbeat is beating again. You are now alive. Alive. Mm-hmm. Hey, congratulations. Welcome back. Yeah. Right. So if you're alive, if you die or if, if you're alive in, a, in an emergency room in a hospital because your heart is beating, wouldn't there be life inside of the womb if the heart is beating? Yeah. Also. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about how we got here because <laughs> I think we need to. In the 70s, Roe versus Wade was the, the order that came down from the Supreme Court about almost 50 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, they did not have ultrasound technology that could detect a heart. In my opinion, personally, I mean, you know, who, who knows? But let's just say back then, maybe they did have in, in a different universe. Maybe there was ultrasound technology when that ruling came down. And maybe they would have ruled differently. Maybe, so, you know what? Uh, this we, we can't we cannot say this can be allowed on a federal level, but we could let the states decide. And I feel that pretty much what Donald Trump and his policy actually was and is, is like, yes, he is a pro-life or was a pro-life president. Absolutely. Pro-life administration. No bones about it. He was the first president to speak at the uh, uh, right, to, right to Life March uh, in Washington, D.C. last few years now, mm-hmm. which is amazing. No president's ever done that before. And it, it comes down to the states to decide. I feel. Now, just on just that issue of states deciding, sure. my perspective would be that that would violate the 14th Amendment. The okay. idea that, you know, equal treatment under the law, regardless of what state you're in. Okay. So the idea that a fetus with a heartbeat in one state is a person, but if that fetus was in a different state it wouldn't be a person like i, I don't think that there's right. compatibility there it, it's got to be across the board exactly and what i feel the supreme court would have had the opportunity to have done let's say in the you know before making that ruling they would actually have to assign personhood and if they have to basically come to the grips of hey there's a heartbeat here there's a human heartbeat here mm-hmm. that's beating on its own mm-hmm. is that a person if it's a person, if you're killing that person and their heartbeat stops, they are dead, just like they would be dead in an emergency room if they were in a car accident. Right. So that really is what it's coming down to, in my opinion. Um, sadly, in this nation, I mean, it's been 60 million, 60 million plus um, people that could have been here. Um <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't be having uh, such crazy budget shortfalls if we had 60 more million people, uh, you know, paying taxes and living mm-hmm. life and, and having their own kids and so on and so forth. Uh, just from a livelihood perspective, for example, in, in, in a government and policy. But anyway, um, I feel that and, and check this out. I, I saw this the other day and I think I shared that with you that, you know, Biden's looking to change the executive order and kind of rewrite what uh, rewrite what Trump had written. Yeah. One of the very first executive orders Trump came wrote when he came into office was to affirm the right 
to life. Right. One of the last executive orders the week before, just a few days before he left in, in mid-January, was to reaffirm the right to life. And now here we are, the very first one of the very, very first out of the 40 plus that <laughs> Joe Biden just jumped into uh, is to basically undo what the previous administration had very clearly communicated um, and has impacted so many. Yes. Um, I think and I think it's already well known. Actually, I was checking some feeds recently, but uh, I know Planned Parenthood, for example, they, they gave the Biden administration lots of money. Mm -hmm. And understandably so. And so he's scratching their back. I'll scratch yours. That's how politics works. And frankly, I'm so sick of politics. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But now to get back to yeah. the discussion with the heartbeat, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Now, because a pregnancy is so complicated and so personal, sure. you are going to have of all abortions that occur, some of them are going to be unplanned, unwanted pregnancies. Right. Right. Now, a large number of them, though, will be wanted pregnancies that, sure. you know, the, the mother and the father, they wanted this child. They were so thrilled to be, you know, to find out that they were pregnant and, and going along. And yeah, it, at the ultrasounds at 18 weeks, they they had there's the heartbeat, obviously, yeah. but they also discover certain problems, let's say. And the their doctors let it let them know that yeah the the fetus is not developing as it should and there's going to be complications later on it's possible it could go full term mm -hmm. or it may natural abortion occur prior to right. reaching full term the parents in that situation face a devastating choice no matter what they choose why should the government intervene and tell them what choice they have to make there I've, great, great question. Um, and this is actually a personal question for me. Um, and again, it's the first time you and I are meeting. Yeah. You're going to learn a little something about me too. So um, my mom was pregnant three times before I was born. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, she had three miscarriages yeah. before I was born. And this is in early 19, I was born in 1981. This is before they had ultrasound technology to the point where we have now, obviously. Um, she had a growth in her uterus that was killing the baby. Right. Uh, I made it out. Okay. <laughs> you know, I got, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes and a brain that's functioning pretty well, <laughs> decently, uh, half the time. But, um, and then she actually had two miscarriages right after okay. I was born. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to be here. Hi. Yes. <laughs> Literally. I'm happy to be here. Um, I was about to, I, I could have been the youngest of four kids. I was, ended up being the oldest of four kids. She had, oh, wow. I've got two brothers and a sister that also came after. That's wonderful. So that being the case, could, should, or could or should, back to your question, could or should the government intervene? I feel that taxpayer money should not be contributed towards the killing of an innocent life, whether it's inside the womb or outside the womb. That's my personal conviction. Right feeling and as a taxpayer hey we can all uh, agree to disagree too because uh, we all pay taxes mm -hmm. <laughs> um what would i'm just wondering in in a different administration or universe i'm kind of wondering what would the policy look like what would life look like if instead of collecting taxpayer money to help fund abortion what if there were tax incentives for adoption or to even 
carry a child full term. And we got the child tax credit. So frankly, that happens after you have a child anyway. Right. Um, but I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not in government. I don't write policy, right. but I'm just having ideas. I just want to spitball ideas well, with you. Now, I mean, my perspective is that the Hyde Amendment does prevent taxpayer funds from directly going to pay for abortion services. Now, money is fungible. Mm-hmm. So you give an organization money for one service right. you know, that frees up their funds to potentially do another service. But we accept that concept when it comes to the government's not supposed to fund religion. But if a church is also acting as an adoption service, you know, the, the government gives them money for right. the adoption stuff. And so if we're able to comprehend fungibility of money and be okay with churches receiving money for their non-religious services, when we would recognize it's not appropriate for them to get funding for their religious services, then someone like Planned Parenthood, an organization that does abortion services, if they're not getting money for that, but they're getting it for the other multitude of services, a majority of their work, I'm just as fine with that as the the church getting money for adoption services. Um, so, and, and that's where I, I think the Hyde Amendment has been in place for decades and no one should feel as though their tax dollars are paying for an abortion. There is no abortion that is occurring or not occurring that has any impact on the federal budget. Right. Um, but it's still, though, to get back to the heartbeat, like I, I still don't know. Yeah, because I'm in total agreement. We should revamp the tax incentives to encourage or make it easier for parents and, and upcoming parents, the, the financial burden that a child, I mean, I have yeah. two daughters and yeah, children are expensive. Yes. And and it, I would not be opposed at all to encouraging financially the, the support for children that are born. Um, but it's still, when it comes down to the decision that a woman has to sometimes make during her pregnancy, I, I don't know how the government can step in and make that decision for her in what is going would have to be a blanket policy almost for the government, but any blanket policy then is going to ignore the nuance of the situation that the women will face. And, and how do you, I just don't know how to, right. how to square that. So here's another thing too. And like, in, for example, um, let's say it becomes uh, abortion becomes illegal in the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. but it's not illegal in, uh, in California. well, what's the distance between California and Michigan, you know, five hour plane ride. Yeah. So freedom, you have the right to choose or to do with your body, what you wish. I get that. Uh, everyone does at the same time when there's a heartbeat there, there has to be, I feel there has to be protections there for the life, for the life of the innocent. Um, whether, and, and that's the thing where it's, I'm and we, for example, the, the, there's 10 States, I believe it now nine or 10, I believe it's 10 now that have passed the heartbeat bill mm-hmm. um, or, or, or something very similar to that, which literally has decreased or removed about 90% of all abortions in those States. Michigan could be number 11 or 12. Um, and there's a new petition drive coming up later on. I think this year we're expecting to relaunch probably. So we'll see how that happens, but everything else kind of, to me anyway, everything else just kind of trickles down after that. But do you think that there should be nuance? Specifically what? 
So in the heartbeat bills, is there any situation that you think that the woman should still have the choice to abort her pregnancy if if it's because okay, especially with like late term abortions, these are pregnancies that are wanted, but something has gone wrong. Okay, and to have it be a double whammy where not only did they find out that their much wanted child is not going to be a happy, healthy baby, no matter what they do, it's, it's, you know, got a couple months before it dies naturally, or they can end the process sooner to have various benefits because the alternative of prolonging it can worsen the consequences. But to to hit get hit with that whammy, but then also get hit with the whammy of not only are you in the situation, but you have no choice but to move forward and suffer those worst consequences later. I, I I can't I can't support that double whammy. Like the the government stepping in and telling them that in that situation they still cannot have an abortion. So that was uh, what you kind of described. There uh, was the decision my parents had to make. Uh, there was no ultrasound, as you know, when I mm-hmm. was born. Um, but that is, in so many words, almost exactly what the doctors told my mom and my dad. And they thought about terminating the preg- pregnancy, right. you know, ending ending my life. And it was late term. Well, they, And they didn't want that. They just went through three miscarriages right now, before me. Now, you, though, had a chance of being a happy, healthy baby, obviously. Sure, sure. That, there are fetuses, I mean, just developmental problems that... With technology, we can identify clearly this is not a viable fetus. It, if it does make it full term, okay, so let's say it goes full term and the baby's born. At that point, it needs surgery after surgery. Do the parents have the choice to say no to the surgeries? Or should the government step in just like it stepped in to say that they had to carry the baby to full term? Is the government going to step in and say that you also then have to go through all these surgeries and bear the financial cost of that. And even after all these surgeries, the child is not ever, no matter what, going to have a, never going to see its first birthday, no matter what, but you can have a couple surgeries to get a couple more months out of it. It it is such a complicated thing that in those situations, the idea to me that the government is going to, just punish the parents who are in that decision and make a decision for them that, I mean, I, I totally respect the the parents that want to choose to, yes, you know, have it go on as long as possible and, and give their child as much life as possible. I totally respect that, but I want it to be their decision. I don't want the government to tell them that they have to, because for those that view in their situation, it's better to end it, end the suffering earlier on the idea that they that option would be taken away from them just breaks my heart and and i know you know most of the time when people discuss abortion it's always the focus is often on unwanted unplanned pregnancies and there's a whole nother set of issues there but this one with the wanted children that aren't ever going to be happy healthy long living babies I, I I would want the pro-life movement to acknowledge that nuance 
and uh, try to address it in some way. Sure. And uh, that's actually a great point that you make. One of the things that I, and I can speak to this, the Michigan Heartbeat Coalition, what they now are doing, this is on a statewide basis, is adding uh, a new wing of, uh, of education and assistance for the exact thing. For, for families, parents, single moms, or whomever that do want to have that child, whatever, if there are complications or not, but you know what, maybe they're not ready to handle a child, whether they are, uh, whether the child is, and by, and we have to come back to the word viable, by the way, that's a fun in- definition we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but having the opportunity to not just say, okay, well, the government says I, I can't have an abortion. So now what? Cause I feel like I'm stuck. I have to, I have to have this kid and I've got my own circumstances. I'm not financially able to take good care, whatever the case may be. Or maybe I've got, you know, other things going on. Okay. Understood. But there are people out there, parents that are waiting patiently to adopt a child that don't care, just do not care if there could be a down, uh, down child, down syndrome, or other medical issues preventing a normal life or what, 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 and that comes back to that word viable. What constitutes a viable life to the quality of life that they're going to have? The doctor told my parents I wasn't going to be a viable child. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, because Down syndrome is at one end of the spectrum of there is viability there for a happy, healthy life with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. But there is the other end of the spectrum. I mean, children born, their their brains don't divide into two hemispheres. And thank God for Dr. Carson. but it's there there are severe pregnancy complications that it cannot be viewed really in the same category as down syndrome because there is no such possibility of a happy healthy life i mean some with the heart defects yeah there's a lot of great surgeons out there who've made a lot of improvements but a lot of the times, the the newborns who have these surgeries are basically being experimented on in hopes that, yeah, maybe something will work. And if so, then the doctors are learning for a future baby. But really, it's a minuscule chance, if anything. And so, I mean, the, the question I still want to know, though, in a way, do you force the parents after the birth? to make does the government step in and still take that pro-life position of they have to continue with the life support services just as with before so going back to the beginning of our conversation um and my analogy of our country being a big brother doing the right thing showing and leading by example to other nations and even to our own selves to our fellow citizen if we're going to call ourselves Americans, if we're going to live up to our founders, to the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and and actually support life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, there is it's all going to crumble. It's and it's it, it's been crumbling and at the foundation for a while. Sixty million reasons why the foundation has been crumbling, in my opinion, mm-hmm. over the last few decades now. And for me, I I kind of felt that. In 2016, the last four years, uh, you know, it was it was an opportunity 
to reset the bone, which was painful for half the country. And I get that because let's just say the the commander in chief wasn't the most gentle person or orator. And you know what? I didn't hire him to be a gentle orator at all. I want him to get stuff done. But that also included looking out for the little guy, Mm -hmm. which he did in business. Small business has thrived the last four years. Um, And and economic question for you, Jordan, just off topic for a second. Do you feel economically, personally in your own finances, if you're willing to share, do you feel that you've done better the last four years? Yeah. I mean, 2016 was a good year for me. Um, I'm I'm a real estate agent in Livingston County and the real estate market has been good. It was, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a good several years. Um, yeah. And the last four have been good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so then, I mean, and then obviously there's that, but, um, looking out for the little guy and that, that includes the little heartbeats, you know, and we're not going to have an America to pass down to our kids if we continue certain policies, I feel this is one of those policies that is unfortunately tearing at the heart, almost quite literally, uh, of our nation. And I know we're, we're arguing or having discussion and conversation about policy. <sighs> Why well, I, th- I feel I get frustrated with politics is mm-hmm. because it's all policy. It's like, okay, well, who is right? Who is right? Who is right? And I get that. I want to get back to what is right. Is it right to kill innocent life? Yes or no? It really, there's nuance there. In my opinion, as far as, cause yeah, do you, uh, does the parents f- put their child into a surgery with a 10% chance of survival, 90% chance of death, but it's going to be a surgery that's going to be agonizing. Or if a child's on life support, does the parents have to, continue with it or do you trust them as parents to make the right decision for them and their family and and i'm the type to want to trust Mm -hmm. in the good in people sure and i don't want the government to be so big that they're intervening in those personal situations and deciding for the parents and now i i do think we should um address some of the questions Um, from the viewers. First off, the view on the death penalty. I, I had taken some of your comments to be that you're opposed to the death penalty because you are very pro-life. Is that I am pro-capital punishment? Okay. Whether that includes the death penalty for felons, that's up to the states to decide. Okay. Um. Now the situations where it's a baby conceived through rape. Now this is a topic that is often brought up in this conversation. Um, I mean, what, what is, do you see any nuance there? Um, any sort of exceptions for what, what some rape victims find themselves to be in? Uh, yes. So I actually, uh, I met, um, a woman named Rebecca and, uh, she was actually conceived in rape. She's got an amazing story, uh, last name Kessling, I believe it is. And, um, she's now, you can imagine very, um, pro-life advocate and has this exact same debate so many times um, with regards to rape. Here's what, here's what I think this is. And again, it's, I, I, I feel like it's coming down to the state's issues. Okay. If a state like California says, yes, we can, we'll allow abortions here, but there's other states that will not. It's up to the individual 
to decide what to do, where to go. Will there be certain states or certain countries? I mean, I can tell you stories of, uh, you know, before abortion was even legal here, women would go to Mexico to get an abortion because they didn't care. Mm -hmm. It was legal there. You can do anything you want. Yeah. I mean, Canada. Canada. Yeah. Very. There you go. Yeah. Um, and you have two legs and a brain. <laughs> you can go where you want to, to do what you want to do. Very sadly, I don't want anyone to have to make that decision. And I don't, I, I, I have nothing but compassion, and empathy mm -hmm. for any woman who has had their body violated. Mm -hmm. I, nothing but compassion. And all I could say is there are other options out there. Okay. Cause, but it comes down to really, if you were King or if I, cause okay, if I were King, if, if I got to decide mm -hmm. the policy regarding abortion, my position universally applied is that it should be between a woman and a doctor, a, a woman, the pregnant woman mm -hmm. is the one who is most affected by the decision. And now if you also have a be where her doctor has to be comfortable, they, they take a Hippocratic oath, they have to get licensed. The doctor is not going to do anything that violates their conscience and their medical ex expertise in dealing with pregnancies and all the different situations that can arise. If a woman wants an abortion and a doctor feels that they can provide one without violating their Hippocratic oath, I think that that should be it. The government should not have a role there. If the pro-life people were in total control, they were king, getting to dictate what the policy is, I still don't know. I mean, to say leave it up to the states, okay, well, then the pro-life people in those states, if they were in total control, what would the policy look like? Mm-hmm. Um. So total. <laughs> wow. So if I were king then, mm -hmm. and I'm glad that I'm not, just to let you know, I'm glad I'm not. But if you're living in my country, I mean, and I'll just use my, my home for example, okay? I tell my son, I've got a, five, a six year old son now. Um, if you're living in my house, there are rules. Mm -hmm. I expect you to follow my rules, not out of obligation or because you might get a spanking or might take your Legos away, but because you love me. And because you love living here, you know, uh, obedience when coming out of love is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you know this as a father yourself, Yeah, you know, um, and I feel that that should trickle down, not just inside the home, but also inside our nation. Sadly, we live, in my opinion, in what I call a fallen world. There's problems. There are rapes. There are murders. There are sin. There's lying. There's stealing. There's theft. There's, I mean, on, on large scales and small scales, sadly. And there's wars and rumors of wars every day. But if we're going to be that shining city on a hill mm -hmm. that Ron Paul talked about, that Ronald Reagan talked about, that George Washington alluded to. That John Winthrop. John, yeah, yeah, I think, yep. Um, and many others then this is something that I feel we have to get right. And I feel there's an opportunity and thank you for having this conversation because yeah. this is awesome, yeah. honestly. And thank you. Um, I feel that we do need to, to converse on the left and the right, not saying that 
one policy is completely right and one policy is completely wrong. But we have to get to a point where I feel the state needs to protect the innocent. And that if, if that is first for you and if it's first for me, we can build on that. That's a foundation right there. Mm-hmm. If there's alternatives to killing that life. And, and I mean, in my opinion, 100 years ago, killing an innocent life like that was pretty much unheard of. So we've been there before. We've been there before. What I feel we need to do is take our DeLorean back in time <laughs> and say, okay, where did we go off? How did this happen? How did we get here? How do we put right what, where once went wrong? Like, how do we get back to that foundation? How do we, do we need to reset the bone? If so, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt, Jordan. Yeah. But you know what? There's time to heal too. And government doesn't have to necessarily be the one to shove policy. And here's the thing, because if we understand right government based on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, mm-hmm. then everything else that's foundational build, build on top of that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I, I agree that, yes, we want the government to have founding principles, but government as an entity is the action of policy. And so you don't have government without a corresponding policy. Mm-hmm. And I still, I still just don't, I, I have a hard time envisioning what the policy is for the pro-life side that accounts for everything that it's going to be affecting un- unless you take the extreme position that abortion is never allowed no matter what. In which case, you're going to have absolutely horrific situations being forced on people by our government. And, and I'm like, I, I want us to start with a kernel of agreement, common ground. And whether it's, yeah, for the values, yes, I, 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 I think we would have that there. But there also has to be a policy of common ground that we could then see where the limits of it extend to. Um, But if instead my position, my policy of it's up to the the woman and her doctor, or it's only up to the government and the government says no every time, there is no overlap there in policy, I don't think. And so now we know what the consequences are of living in a Roe v. Wade era. I I don't know if the pro-life people have truly thought through the consequences of that alternative and what that would be. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a concern of mine. And, and it should be. And it is a concern of mine, too, because what you just said is the almost the exact question concern that was brought up by the Michigan Heartbeat Coalition. And they said, okay, we've, we've got a base now of, you know, pretty much 300,000 people that signed their name on a petition to affirm, um, you know, when there's a heartbeat detected, then the baby is protected. Mm-hmm. That's what they signed on. Okay. About 300,000 in the state of Michigan. But it's more than that. What, like in pretty much like you just said, what good is it if you have this policy and it's not an option There's no alternatives. Well, that's the thing. We need to have alternatives. We need to show that killing another human life should be unthinkable. 
The sky is blue. The grass is green. You shouldn't kill another innocent human life, period. End of story. And if you do, there should be consequences for that, sadly and, and sorrowfully. I mean, that's that's just how I see it. Mm-hmm. If I, I mean, I, I'm not I don't, I'm not going to kill you or your, your kids. Right. And if I heaven forbid, if anyone were to. Yeah, there's got to be consequences for that. Mm-hmm. OK, you're that's in that's taking innocent life. That's wrong, period. But it's not always black and white when you have medical situations. I do want to get to one yeah, other comment. It. Um, it always feels like the pro-life side forgets uh, about poverty and the harsh realities of adoption and being in the system. Can you speak on that? Yes. There are families that are out there, and this is where I feel our federal and or state government, by the way, really needs to reform. It should not be as hard or as difficult or expensive for that matter, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. For families who are or just parents that are wet, ready and waiting, yeah. they're, they're willing to give their money. They've been saving up tens of thousands of dollars in some cases just to adopt a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. Yes. And yeah, it's not easy to carry a child into this world, but that's why there should be options. And adoption, I feel, is one of them. And I feel it'd be great to the state government, to the federal government, whatever, to make it easier and more financially advantageous to allow the adoption process to happen faster, more frequently, mm-hmm. and to then eliminate the uh, abortion policy, in my opinion. And so then after the adoption and or birth, and so the do you support the programs then that support the the women with young children, the the social welfare programs that are designed to not just be about the child prior to birth, but really about giving that child after birth equal opportunity. Exactly. And here's where I I feel that, in just my opinion, okay, um, I feel that the the state should draw the line up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. The state says, okay, let's say you do need welfare. Okay, you get the welfare. Okay, it's one of the things that we offer in, in our society, in our country, in our state, whatever. But there's also alternatives out there that may have got a lot of money and there's churches of any denomination or any other religious groups that also help with that, too. They have options there as well. So I I feel that I don't want single mothers or parents that are making this decision to say, oh, I have to fall back on the state. And like you can if you choose to. You're not supposed to, in my opinion. The state's supposed to be there as a backdrop. You're not supposed to be relying on it all the rest of your life like that. But there's other alternatives out there. And this is where I feel as a Christian, by the way, that churches, Christians listening, hopefully, (laughs) uh, where we've dropped the ball, Mm -hmm. where we shouldn't be, in my opinion, you know, focus on a building or building a bigger, better 501c3, which is contrary to what it was supposed to be anyway. But anyway, um, that, in my opinion, is where things went wrong. Yeah. Uh, that's where conservatives, Christian conservatives, people like me uh, have realized now in the last several years now, like, wow, we, we kind of woke up and guess what? We're, we don't, we're starting not to recognize where we were, which is why there, there was this flight to Trump or flight to Ron Paul to some, to, so to some extent in the last decade now, 
uh, because we didn't like and see the direction our country was going. We want to go back to basics, mm -hmm. back to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What does that look like? Okay, well, that means we got to do a checkup from the neck up. We got to we got to correct some things. And if there's some things that government's getting right, great. Let's work with that. Let's work on that. But you know what? It shouldn't all just be about government either. We also have to do things over here. And that's just, I'm talking to my crowd, by the way. Right. Um, because if we want to be the ones that are being the right big brothers, that are leading by example, and, and we want to help build a bridge to our friends on the left and the liberal crowd as well, we need to get on the same plane if we're going to be Americans. Yeah. Because if there's not life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, what are we doing here? Yeah. Well, and, and so when, when the government is able to assist in providing the families with young children better resources to provide better opportunities for those children, okay. because poverty is such a consequential situation to be in for a child from birth through the rest of their life. And so... The, if the government is going to be making decisions uh, that affect the parents prior to birth, I would hope that the government is then fulfilling their obligations after birth, having been having forced the parents into that situation, regardless of you know what they felt was right for them and their family. Um, and so the, it seems to me, at least as a Democratic voter, that there's a disconnect on the Republican side where those who are the candidates most pushing the pro-life agenda are the ones who are least likely to provide the government support for after the child is born. So you feel... So you said the least likely. Yes, that uh, funding our schools better or, um, you know, just the food stamps and all of the different assistance programs that are designed for the purpose of giving the child better opportunities in their life. So they are not simply destined based on the circumstances of their birth. And so it, it requires government spending. It requires... Um, big government, big brother, a little bit to, to be the one to, to direct those resources to those families in need that have that, those young children, something like universal pre-K. I, I mean, I sent my daughters to preschool. It was pretty expensive. Yeah. And I was thrilled once I got to kindergarten because I didn't have to pay anymore. And it, it doesn't seem right to me that why shouldn't preschool have been free? You know, where, where are those pro-life politicians advocating for universal pre-K? Because that makes a massive difference in the child's life if they are able to attend preschool or is kindergarten their first opportunity to interact in an education system. And, and so that's what I would, in the ideal world, identify as the pro-life position is it's pro-life from pre-birth all the way through to death and not just so focused on the circum, you know, the, what the government is forcing people to do prior to birth. Right. I hear what you're saying there. Um, and yes, from there's, from the time that there is a heartbeat at birth or in gestation period in the, in the womb, 
all the way up until heaven forbid, you know, hopefully they're, they're passing away in their nineties and in a warm bed one day, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still pro-life. I, I, I hear about policies in other countries where, and there was the, the Terry Schiavo, uh, for example, you remember hearing her yeah. a few years ago, yeah, back you know, they Florida. made her, they made her uh, starve to death or um, die of um, um, dehydration. I think it was at the time. Well, it's, it's life support. Right. And, should the government intervene to decide whether or not your loved one has to remain on life support? Or is that a personal decision of the family? Right. I believe in freedom of the individuals who are faced with that situation. I don't want the government to be so onerous as to make, is to force a decision upon in that situation. And and so, I mean, because I, I am fairly civil libertarian yeah. when it comes to personal freedoms. I, I On the economic side, I'm a pro-regulation capitalist. But for personal freedoms, yeah, civil libertarian. Um, and I just – so, yeah, the Terry Schiavo case is a good example beyond just the pregnancy situation. Right. It, it, it applies throughout life. Right. When does the government decide whether or not – somebody is forced to proceed in on life support versus when is it up to a family? And here's the other, here's the, I guess the flip side of that same coin. There were people, families, organizations that were willing to come to the aid of Terry Schiavo mm-hmm. and say, Hey, don't kill her. We will take care of her. Mm-hmm. If this is what you're worried about, then guess what? There are families, there are other um, hospice care facilities that, want to help her and they were willingly sacrificing of themselves and their own finances to do that and as last i heard it was the state that says no she's gonna die it's the family members who were entrusted with that decision as to whether or not for her to continue on life support or not because the idea that if i were to go on life support Mm -hmm. and my wife wanted to end life support I wouldn't want strangers coming in and telling my wife that she couldn't do that. That's for my wife to decide in that very personal situation. Right. It should not be for anybody else. And so, I mean, I do think we're approaching the oh, hour mark. That's quick. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I am so grateful and just thank you so much for coming on. I, I hope that you felt this Absolutely. was worthwhile. Let's do it again, man. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and so you. I, I want to, just thank also yeah, BJ for connecting thank us. Thank you, BJ. And, we miss you, man. Yeah, hope to see you soon. Hope, hope he has another episode coming out soon. And so, uh, yeah, until next time, thank you guests for listening. And uh, let's keep it civil. And, 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 uh, let's keep it civil. No, 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 let's keep it.